So we have Pastor Joe Gavin with us here today. It's a pleasure to have you back. Um, so please give him a warm welcome. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see all of you. I, this, my, this is actually my first time in a, like, like an in-person church service since back in March. So it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of exciting, huh? Um, yeah, and congrats on your new pastor. Uh, that's really exciting, too. I'm looking forward to meeting It's Guy, right? Pastor Guy, yeah. That'll be fun to meet him. So that's great. Well, we've all been there before. In fact, it's one of life's most dreaded moments. Um, just thinking about it can make our hearts begin to race a bit, our, our palms get a little sweaty. We've all experienced it. You're standing there in a panic, and, and you're absolutely paralyzed. And as the seconds pass and turn into minutes, you can just sense the stare, the disapproving stare of a face behind you. Someone is waiting. The, the urgency grows with each not-so-subtle sigh you hear coming from behind you. Everything was fine just 15 minutes earlier. You grabbed your keys and your wallet, or if you're a lady, you grabbed your purse. You were heading out the front door, and you heard those most dreaded words. Honey, can you pick up some Ben and Jerry's for me at the store? The Ben and Jerry's freezer case. It's one of the things I dread most in life. So many flavors. So many calories. But, but so many options to choose from. How many times have you or I stood there staring at the same cartons? looking at all the choices, wondering, can't one of them just jump out at me and say, eat me, choose me? Not only are there so many choices, so many flavors to choose from, but the whole process is so complex. I mean, you might know what ice cream flavor you want, but then to pick one for your spouse and to bring it home? Or... Maybe you, you want to try to stick to your diet and, and choose a less artery-clogging flavor. So do you go with the fro-yo? And then there's sometimes the false alarm. You think you know what you've chosen, and so you open the case, and you go to pick one, and at the last second you change your mind. And then what do you do? Do you close the door, because now the glass is all fogged up, and you can't see the cartons, or do you stand there with the door open, knowing that all that cold air is coming out and you're wasting all that electricity, while you stand there for another five minutes trying to figure out, what, what do you do? I hate the Ben and Jerry's freezer case. But if I'm honest with you, it's not just Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I hate choices. Maybe it's the dreaded moment when your waiter or waitress comes to you and you're out to dinner and, and you're still scrambling over your menu. Do I get the lasagna? But what if I get the lasagna and, and I would have liked the chicken Alfredo even better? You know, what, what do I pick? Our lives are full of choices. Some of them are pretty insignificant, like Ben and Jerry's, or do I want oatmeal or cereal for breakfast? I went with cereal this morning. 
Should I wear my blue shirt or my gray shirt? I went with blue. <laughs> Should I watch CNN or Fox News tonight? No, just kidding. I'm not even going to go there with all of you. I just <laughs> do that one. <laughs> but, but some of our choices can actually be pretty significant. They can impact and shape the direction of our lives for years to come. As you know, I work with college students, and their lives are full of consequential, consequential choices. That's hard to say. Who are they going to choose to be their friends? Who are they going to date? What are they going to choose as their major? Who are they going to eventually marry? So many choices. As adults, we also make consequential choices all the time. How we spend our money, where we live, how we raise our kids, what church we go to, who we vote for, how we respond to this crisis or this social upheaval in our world. Even choices that seem insignificant at the time, like some inconsequential words we respond with, or even some post we fail to scroll past on Facebook and we type, 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 and all of a sudden relationships have been destroyed or gospel witness has been ruined. Some of our choices present us with two equally excruciating and awful options. Do we continue to fight the cancer with more chemo or do we look into hospice options? Our lives are full of choices. And sometimes I wish God would just tell us what to do. Right? Almost 20 years ago, 20 years ago, I was finishing up my training as a Catholic missionary in Bellingham, Washington, at Western Washington University. So I'd completed a two-year internship program. I'd taken some seminary classes. I'd gotten my ministerial credentials, and it was time to choose what to do next. I had to make a choice. And originally, I had planned to return to Boston to work with Chi Alpha, which is where I'd come to faith as a student. But I'd also been offered a job in Los Angeles and to stay at my current campus in Washington State. And I didn't know what to do. My boss gave me two weeks to decide, to give an answer. And the night before I had to tell him, I still did not have a decision. I did not know what to do. And so as I lay my head down on the pillow to go to sleep that night, I prayed, God, just tell me what to do. I will do whatever you ask me to do. Just tell me. Give me an answer. Give me a dream, God, and I will do it. Just speak to me. And that night, I had one of the most vivid memorable dreams I've ever had in my life. I I can still see it today. I actually went and visited a campus in Los Angeles, and I was, in my dream that is, and I I was speaking to a small group of students, and in the middle of my sermon, this young woman stood up and began to speak in tongues. And then, when she finished, she gave an interpretation of this message in tongues. And this is what she said. The Lord says... Go right or go left, but make a decision and move forward. What? I woke up angry. I was like, God, what kind of a dream is that? Go right or go left? Like, is that a joke? What what was that? Make a decision? 
I've learned that following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. Most of us, I think if we were honest, we would prefer that when we wake up in the morning, at the foot of our bed would be some kind of drill sergeant who would give us our orders for the day. Do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. And just lay it out. And then we can have a choice. We obey or we don't obey, but at least we know what the clear instructions are. But instead, when we wake up, Jesus is sitting next to her bed, reading from a book, the Bible. And rather than marching orders, we get, once upon a time. Now, don't get me wrong. There, there are plenty of rules and laws in the scriptures. Um, you know, we're not supposed to murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie. But, but we make choices every single day for which there are no Laws or Bible verses that give us the answer of what we're supposed to do. There's no Bible verse telling you who to marry, how much time to spend on your smartphone, or what TV shows to watch. There are laws that tell you not to steal, but there's no law that tells you what it means to be generous. There are no explicit moral laws against character flaws, like cynicism, or impulsiveness, or living a disorganized life. But All of these things can destroy relationships, hurt your life, destroy your future. We need something more than just lists of to-dos, not to-dos. Something more than techniques and quick fixes. We need something to change us from the inside out. We need an internal compass. We need to think rightly. We need discernment and understanding. We need what the Bible calls wisdom. We need to become wise. This morning, I want to look at a a short text from the book of Proverbs, the very opening of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. This is what it says. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, For receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get their guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Always reminds me of Mr. T. You know, he's I pity the fool. <laughs> I said that to a student the other day. Like, Mr. Who's Mr. T? <laughs> Getting old. Um, the Book of Proverbs, as we know, was written thousands of years ago, and it's this collection of sayings, proverbs, to instruct young Israelites in the way of wisdom. And these these little proverbs, like the rest of the Bible, they don't necessarily give specific instructions for what to do every moment of life, every little situation. In fact, if you, if you read the Proverbs as universal rules, you get into trouble because sometimes they seem to contradict each other. Verse, one verse to the next, they seem to tell you to do the opposite thing. Instead, these, these Proverbs present a bit of character qualities that help us to guide us in the choices that we face in our lives. Proverbs seem to show that there's this reciprocal relationship 
between decision-making and character formation, between the, the small little choices we make every day and the kind of people we eventually become throughout our lives. For example, if today on my way home, I make the choice to drive past Cookie Love without stopping for a creamy, which, if I'm honest, I probably will stop. But if I were to drive past it, you know, no big deal, right? Small little decision, a little bit of self-control. But if that decision gets repeated regularly and I make a habit of skipping desserts and sweet things, the long-term impact on my health will be very different than if I have ice cream every day. You might not be noticing a theme here, ice cream, Ben and Jerry's creams. Yeah, you can tell what I'm interested in. But, and so there might be an element of godly character that helps us to practice self-control over our tongues or over our keyboard when we're scrolling through Facebook. And, and, and so every time we choose to tell the truth or avoid gossip or to offer encouragement rather than criticism, not only have we exhibited self-control, but we form self-control. We build self-control within ourselves. And, and these virtues, when we practice them over and over, they become a habit. And the more of these habits we begin to form in our lives, we become wise. So Proverbs are meant to teach us to be wise. But what is wisdom? And in and, and these seven verses, I want to suggest we're told there are three kinds of wisdom. Intellectual, ethical, and theological. Intellectual, ethical, and theological. So intellectual wisdom. The, the verses tell us there, there's this intellectual component to being wise. There's, there's knowledge. Verse 2 speaks of instruction and insight. Verse 4 speaks of knowledge. Verse 5 talks about learning and guidance. To become wise, we have to know something about how the world works. How do our day-to-day our -day lives fit into the bigger picture of God's reality. Where is all of this heading? If we want our minds and our thinking to become wise, I want to suggest very something simple, not profound, but we need to immerse ourselves in God's word. We need to know God's story for this world. We need to know the beginning and the end. We need to know what he's promised for today and for tomorrow. We need to know how he has acted throughout history. We need to know his character. We need an accurate understanding of reality, the way things really are. We need to know God's decrees and commandments. That the words of Jesus need to resonate in our hearts. They need to echo in our minds. Like I said, it's not profound, but if we want to become wise, we need to be meditating and studying and reading and praying through the scriptures. Now, I, I know life can be crazy and hard, there are, and there are seasons of life that are crazier and harder than others. Um, some of you in this room might disagree with me, but from where I stand, at least... <laughs> There's a difference between life as a retired person and life having three young kids running around, two parents who work jobs, shuttling kids to baseball and ballet and 
homework and managing their online learning and all that kind of stuff right now, and doing dishes and laundry. There are seasons of life, and I totally understand that. But are there, even in those busy seasons, creative ways we can be absorbing and, and hearing and digesting and chewing on God's Word? Maybe a podcast or a Bible app or an online sermon while we're in the car, whatever it is. Are there ways that we can be soaking in the wisdom of God and internalizing his story so that it becomes the lens that we see our world through? To become wise, we must shape our minds with the word of God. Wisdom is intellectual. These first seven verses also tell us that there's an ethical component to wisdom. Verse 3 literally says in the Hebrew that we are to receive instruction in righteousness, justice, and equity. In other words, wisdom is not just information. We have more access to knowledge than ever before. We have more information at our, our fingertips, our thumbs, than ever before. But, but how does all that knowledge get channeled into a life of, of wholeness? A life of, of living that brings flourishing to our, our own lives and our families and our communities. One commentator put it this way. He said, Proverbs depicts human flourishing as peace and shalom for lands, families, nations, and cultures. For the most part, the modern university trains students for a kind of flourishing that imagines employment, promotion, physical comforts, and financial well-being. Morality, meaning, and purpose, it is hope, hoped, will be addressed somewhere else. But where? Biblical wisdom is depicted as our insight into the ultimate benefits that await God's children. Benefits of love that surpass knowledge. In other words, wisdom isn't about knowing the right things, but living the right things, doing the right things. Wisdom that, that results in a kind of living that reflects the character of God, a life of mercy and justice and compassion. Wisdom gets demonstrated by how we use our time and our money, how we use our power and influence and privilege. If, if we are truly wise, it should impact our families and our communities. Wisdom allows us to ur urgently wrestle with our, our social and cultural needs and issues with solutions that bring God's healing and hope to our world. We can take an issue like systemic racism and figure out what does it mean to balance our community's needs for safety and protection alongside of justice for marginalized people. Wisdom, wisdom allows us to bring flourishing to human life. It's not a solitary pursuit. Wisdom is learned in community. Look at the, the, the words and language in some of these first seven verses. Words like instruction and guidance. They, they imply a, a community of people pursuing wisdom together. I, I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning, but that's why we come together. That's why we need one another. We need people who are further along on the journey than we are to show us the way. We need younger people who are not quite as far to, te to teach us where this world is going. We need people who will instruct and rebuke and exhort and encourage and comfort and guide us. You cannot be wise alone in your prayer closet. You need a community of people to live it out. 
And that's what you're all meant to be for one another. So I want to encourage you this morning to, to pursue the kinds of real and authentic and transparent and consistent friendships with one another that will spur one another on to wisdom. Join a small group. Start a small group. Share meals together. Share life together in meaningful ways. Wisdom is ethical. It has to be lived out in community. And finally, wisdom is theological. Verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. Uh, We tend to think in our culture of fear as a negative thing. And in many cases it is, right? We don't want to live in fear. We don't want to go about our days constantly afraid of the next calamity. You know, pandemic, riots, murder hornets, sandstorms from the Sahara, hurricanes. Oh, a new one. I just, Yellowstone erupting in a massive supervolcano. Have you heard about this? The Yankees winning the World Series this year. The list can go on and on of things we're afraid of. I'm from New York, so I can say that, but... But it's why the Bible says things like, don't fear. Perfect love casts out fear. There are some things and some people that, that scare us. We don't, we don't trust them. We're afraid we're going to get hurt. And it's appropriate. I, I once had a, an emotionally and spiritually abusive boss, and I was afraid of him. I was afraid of how his words and actions would hurt me. But there is another kind of fear, a fear that is based in love in awe. It's a fear where you're so in love, so in awe with someone. You don't want to disappoint. You don't want to offend. You don't want to let them down. You don't want to grieve them because you're so full of love and respect for them. The fear of the Lord is that kind of fear. It's a a joyful fear. Many people believe in God um, out of a a negative fear, you know. He might smite me. (laughs) But we're not afraid that God is going to condemn or hurt us. Our our fear is rooted in awe, how how much we're loved and delighted in by God. Our fear is rooted in a desire not to disappoint the one who's given us life and breath and every good gift. Our fear is rooted in a love for a God who who entered our world, became one of us, lived a life of of beauty and grace and humility and sacrifice, and then died for us. Our fear is rooted in in absolute awe over a Jesus who, who fully reveals to us what God is like, a heart and character of a God unlike any other God. Our fear is rooted in knowing that the very breath of God, his his Holy Spirit, lives inside of us and is with us to guide us and comfort and empower us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do you want to become wise? Then fix your eyes on the one who is not only the greatest teacher of wisdom, to ever walk the earth. But the one who scripture says is the very embodiment of wisdom, wisdom in the flesh, Jesus. Do you want to know how to respond to injustice? 
Look at how Jesus did. Do you want to know how to respond to insults? To criticism? Look how Jesus did. Do you want to know how to respond to betrayal and pain? To poverty, to sickness, to oppression? Look at Jesus. Do you want to know how to live a life of self-control and purpose? Look at Jesus. Do you want to know how to live a life of love, of self-giving love and generosity? Look at Jesus. Get to know him better. Spend time with him. Talk to him. Listen for his voice. Fall more deeply in love with him. Become like him. And you'll become wise. The worship team, come up. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, you are the most wise the wisest man to ever walk this earth. Your life embodied wholeness. Everywhere you went, you brought flourishing to men, to women, children, communities, families. You restored the broken. You healed the hurting. Lord Jesus, we fear you in awe and wonder. And I pray that that fear, that that respect, that reverence would grow more and more, that we'd be captivated more and more by you and your life and your words. God, I pray that we would be people of your word, that we would be so saturated with your story, with with your decrees, with with your instructions, with your actions in history, the way you've proven yourself for thousands of years, with your promises for the future, that 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 lens, that, that story would shape our decisions and our choices. Lord, I pray that we would deepen our friendships, our community, that, that we would live this stuff out well with one another. I pray we'd be honest with one another. We'd challenge each other. We'd spur each other on to become wise people. God, I pray for those of us today who are facing difficult decisions where there's no verse or commandment or clear biblical choice of what to do. I pray that you would give wisdom whether it's with finances or relationships or family or or sickness, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would make us wise people. Lord, grow us into who you made us to be. I pray our lives would reflect your character and your love in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen.